The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. So if you've heard me tell this story before, uh, don't stop me. But uh, it was my senior year. Uh, Graduation was only a few weeks away. And on this particular Wednesday night, I went to our senior guys Bible study. It was the final one ever. And I went expecting the usual, but what happened that night was anything but usual. Uh, we sat in a circle. There must have been like 15 or 20 of us. There was, and there was a chair in the middle, and that chair in the middle was new. Um, our Young Life leader, Kit, then kind of walked us through what was going to happen that evening. One of us would sit in that chair in the middle, and the rest of the guys would share a word or a phrase that came to mind when we thought about that person. And we were going to do that for every one of the senior guys there. Now, perhaps sensing the seriousness of the occasion, this group of high school seniors didn't joke around, but we spent the next two-plus hours speaking words of encouragement to one another. I remember multiple times during the evening where I'm kind of like, Oh, we're, we're still here. It was a long time, and yet it was a powerful time because at the end of each guy's turn, Kit, our Young Life leader, would share his word. And you could tell that he had thought deeply about what he wanted to say. He thought deeply about each one of us and came up with one thing, one thing to tell us. And, and I'll be honest, I don't remember a whole lot about that evening, or I don't remember what anyone else said, but I do remember very clearly what Kit said to me. He said, David, when I think of you, I think of the word gentle. It's a word that means quiet strength. And you got to understand that with the place I was in my life, with the things I was going through, with the questions I was asking myself, that word pierced through everything. And it it changed me. That moment, that word, way back when I was a senior in high school, has fueled me for decades, even to today. You know, that wasn't the only important moment that night. Uh, After we had gone through every senior, and again, it was a long time, uh, people started packing up like it was time to go. And in all the hubbub, we just hear Kit say, well, hold up, guys, we're not done yet. I could use your encouragement, too. And it was this weird, like, oh my goodness. There was a little bit of shame in the midst of that. Kit had invested so much time thinking about each one of us, and we were about to just take without giving back. I needed his word, but he also needed our words. This man who had walked with me for the past year, he needed encouragement as well. And it was interesting, just that that night, a shift occurred in my soul. I've been blessed to have other moments like that over the years where words changed me and deeply affected me. Um, Sitting in a cabin with a bunch of fellow camp guides doing what Kit had done with us. We called them strength bombs. One person, just a bunch of encouragement being thrown at them. Uh, Encouragograms at camp. But you know, there were also moments where like my boss pulls me aside. And at the time I was doing IT support and he sat me down and we're in a church and he's like, hey, remember that when you talk to others about this software, that you're pretty much telling a five-year-old how to build a space shuttle. (laughs) Be patient, be kind, 
take it slow, because I was none of those things at the time. Or when one of my church elders, I was serving as a youth pastor at a church down in Houston, one of my elders came up to me after a particularly heated uh, committee conversation, and he said, listen, David, if you just take a moment to ask questions and to understand what the other person is saying, you might see that you're saying the same thing instead of fighting. It was, yeah, there were some aha moments. Um, I wish I could say it was a long time ago, but it wasn't. Um, <laughs> you see, it's, it's, it's not always encouragement. The words aren't always encouragement, but sometimes the words are corrective. And, and whether they're easy or difficult to hear, those words spoken to me with care, with concern, carefully chosen, timely, full of grace, and intended to build up, they did. They changed the course of my life. They led me to a fuller life. Words have such power. And, and perhaps you have stories similar to mine, stories where words of encouragement or correction change the course of your life. But it might be that for you, it wasn't necessarily in a positive way. The words that you heard wounded, wounded you deeply. They took away life. They took away joy because words can do that. Words are so very powerful. And I don't think this is something I have to like convince you of. We can all recognize that. And, it, and in a climate where words are deliberately inflammatory, because, you know, outrage is what grabs our attention these days, where when words divide and hurt, where words are often angry and combative, tearing down or tearing apart, it sure seems to me like everyone could use a little wisdom when it comes to their words, doesn't it? I mean, is anyone else tired of the news or all the stuff on whatever social media platform you desire? I'm tired of the rhetoric. I'm drained from always feeling on edge because that's what every headline is designed to make me feel. And don't think that Christian, quote-unquote, media is innocent in all of this. No, they're right in the middle of it, using the exact same tactics as everyone else, evoking outrage, getting you riled up. It's why I full-on deleted my Twitter account years ago and took everything else off my phone. Like, I'm following all these Christian pastors and leaders, and the invective that they're spewing is just as bad as the other stuff I'm seeing. I'm like, I'm done. I'm out. I can't, I don't want to deal with this anymore. We need wisdom with how to speak in a world where there seems to be only one tone, and that's anger, where authorities are starting to tell us what we can and cannot say, where words are now considered violence. We all need wisdom. We all need wisdom with our words, whether they're spoken or written. And thankfully, wisdom is available. Over the past few weeks, we've been considering wisdom as seen in the book of Proverbs, right? The, the way that we've summarized all the different words for wisdom is skillful living. It's not omniscience. Wisdom does not mean you know everything all the time. But rather, as one put it, wisdom is just knowing what to do in the 80% of the time where the course of action isn't clear. We've seen wisdom leads to blessing. Skillful living, according to Proverbs, leads to happy living. That was week two. But it's important to note that Proverbs, those little wisdom sayings, particularly from chapters 10 on, uh, those are not promises. I'll say it again. Proverbs are not promises. They are general principles that tend to apply, all else being equal. But they don't always apply. 
which is why we have the other wisdom books. And we need the other wisdom books. In Proverbs, generally, the righteous profit and the wicked suffer. But then you go read Ecclesiastes, and the author there says, well, actually, sometimes the wicked prosper. And you go read Job, and it's like, and sometimes the righteous suffer. We need all of this wisdom. And so the wise among us know that the created order does not always work because we live in a fallen world distorted by sin. In general, though, skillful living, wisdom, will lead to blessing and happiness. And so that's one of the reasons wisdom is worth seeking. After that, we looked at two of the unwise persons in Proverbs, the sluggard, the lazy person, and the simpleton or the fool. Uh, We looked at them as warnings about not getting wisdom. And today, we shift gears a little bit. We want to consider a particular topic in Proverbs, and that is the one of the tongue, of words. We want to consider wise words, skillful speech, wisdom with what you say, with what you write, and these days with what you post. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18. We're going to be in verse 21. And let me pray. All-knowing, all-good, and all-wise God, as the maker of all things, you know how all things work best, including our speech. Please, Father, help us to see you today and to be drawn close to you. Open your word to us, and as we draw close, may it drive us to Jesus, who gave himself for us. We've been loved so much May that awaken love for you in us and move us then to live skillfully for your glory and for the good of others. Please, Father, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts please you today. Amen. So Proverbs 18.21. It's a short little one. It's a proverb, right? And it says this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Again, it's a proverb. Short, pithy, easy to remember. And this proverb, I feel, best encapsulates what Proverbs has to say about speech. You can either speak in a way that leads to life or leads to death. It can give life or it can give death. Whichever way you speak, you are going to bear the consequences. So, Don't be too much in love with the sound of your own voice. Instead, recognize the power of words and use them with restraint. Got it? Beautiful. Let me pray. No, just kidding. Some of you might be excited about that, but no, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, no, no. This proverb, it gives us a great place to start, but we can't just stop here. Uh, We love simplicity here in America, as modern Americans. We we love to take things and boil them down to a single solution that we then get to apply in all cases. Um, And so when we read Proverbs, we're often inclined to take a saying and make it universal, that this always applies. And so we read Proverbs 18.21, and it rings true to us. I, I think this is true. I think that in general, this happens. I don't need to prove to you that the tongue can bring life or death. I shared with you some stories from my own life. Um, I could share stories where I brought death with my tongue, even just recently, crushing the souls of my children with the things that I was saying. And I have repented of that. 
Life and de- death and life are in the power of the tongue. We get that, but there's so much more to understand because what happens when someone speaks death, but then they don't bear the consequences? How do I understand it? Or to use a more specific and a per- perhaps more obvious uh, comparison, consider Proverbs 26, verse 4. Proverbs 26, 4. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. That's a beautiful word. I wish more Christians listened to that when they're posting online. We prefer this one, though. The next verse, 26.5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. In one instance, answering leads to life. In another instance, it's death. When is it right to answer the fool? Well, wisdom says it depends. It depends on the person. It depends on the circumstance, it depends on you and your frame of mind. It depends on the timing of it all. Both of these are true. They're just true in different circumstances. Usually, Proverbs are a description of some aspect of how life works. As uh, Tim Keller says, one proverb on marriage taken by itself seems to appeal or apply to every instance. A later proverb, however, reveals there are some marriage situations in which a different practice is required. Only taken and fitted together with each one modifying the others as parallel clauses do, do the proverbs yield a full multidimensional picture of a particular topic. You see, the proverbs treat life as complicated as it actually is. You're not going to find one simple answer in Proverbs. Wisdom requires a little bit of work. Keller goes on to say, Proverbs then give up their meaning only cumulatively. No one saying gives you the whole picture. Only all together do the Proverbs bring us a wise, nuanced, theologically rich, many-faceted view of the world. And so Proverbs 18.21 is a great starting point for us as we seek wisdom with our words. But we've got to do the work. How does the tongue lead to death? How does it lead to life? How ought we treat our speech, whether spoken or written? And so that's what we're going to kind of do uh, quickly here. And so the proverb begins with, nope, we didn't. (laughs) The proverb begins with death and life are in the power, literally the hand of the tongue. And I don't know if that caught your attention or not. It did me at first because colloquially, colloquially, I probably should not use that word again, um, When we speak in American English, we put those words together as life and death because we're positive. We like to focus on the good things, right? But not in the Hebrew. In Hebrew, it begins with death, and I think it's deliberate because if we're honest, the things that come out of our mouth tend to lead to destruction, especially when we're not thinking, right? Proverbs 12, 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Have you ever just spoken just out of, out of passion, out of anger, out of whatever, and like, it just, you're just thrusting a sword into someone. Our wounds, our words wound like sword thrusts, especially when we speak without thinking in the heat of the moment. Proverbs 29.5, a man who flatters his neighbors spreads a net for his feet. We trap with flattery, using our words to manipulate each other. Proverbs 26.19, this is one of the ones that I had to, reflect on a long time. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbors and says, I'm only joking. As a teenager, I needed that one more often than not. Because what kind of, how, how do we tend to joke? It, uh, this, it's death. 
Uh, Proverbs 19.5, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. We lie, we deceive, and the consequences of our lie ruin both us, the liar, and the person we're lying about. Just real quick, consider the type of speech that's most valued today. Think of the people and the speakers that we tend to elevate. They're often quick-witted, real clever comebacks, you know. Sarcasm is huge these days. Put-downs, uh, being able to destroy the libs or destroy the right-wingers. Like, you, you know this language, right? This is, an, this is all over the place. Being able to destroy those who disagree with you. It's everything that the proverb says is death. The stuff that we value is the stuff that the proverb says it kills people. And then there's the whole idea of gossip. Proverbs has a lot to say about gossip. Um, in Proverbs 16, 29, a dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer, which is how the ESV translates the word that we use for gossip, separates close friends. Or Proverbs 18, 8, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down in the inner parts of the body. We love, we love hearing that. But then, for lack of a wood, Proverbs 6, 26, 20, for lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no gossip, quarreling ceases. So gossip, um, a good definition for gossip is it's negative information which may or may not be true. Not all gossip is a lie. In fact, oftentimes gossip is truth. We just like having an insider knowledge. But that gossip, uh, that negative information is designed to make the speaker and the hearer feel superior to the one gossiped about. It's a power trip. It's devastating to relationships and when, even when it's done inadvertently, there's another proverb that says, uh, proverb that says um, beware the one who talks a lot. Because gossip breaks relationships. Beware the guy who speaks all the time. Sometimes our gossip is inadvertent. But even then, it still destroys relationships. It keeps the flames of division spoke. And as Christians, this can be a particularly insidious vice. We don't spill the tea, as you hear the kids say. But we might give you a heads up about something you should know. Or we might have a compassionate plea. You know, I'm really concerned for David and his family right now. Or we even slip gossip in as a prayer request. Let's just pray for David and his family right now. And, and I want you to pray for me. Please do. But if you're using it as an occasion to share things about my life that you probably shouldn't be sharing, please don't do that. That's gossip. Death is in the power of the tongue. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says this, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Why is death the first thing that tends to come out of our mouths? Well, I think what comes out of our mouths is an overflow of what's already in our heart. And if we speak death, it's because death is what is in us. You see, the issue with wise speech isn't merely a choice of words, but it reveals our very real heart problem. We are sinners, twisted and broken and separated from God, turned inward to seek our own good, even though we can't do that. And our mouths reveal our guilt before God. Until that heart problem is taken care of, speaking differently, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, because out of the abundance of the heart, 
the mouth speaks. James puts it like this in James chapter 3. The tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. And, And so James, he's speaking to Christians. He's like, listen, this shouldn't be the case. For those without Christ, how do we change it? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. And so death is in the power of the tongue. But you know what? So is life in the wisdom literature. Proverbs 12, 14, from the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good and the work of a man's hands come back to him. Like when we speak good, good comes back. When we speak life, we eat that fruit. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. For those of us here who deal with anxiety or who have gone through difficult times, like Remember that person that came in and just had the right thing to say that kind of helped soothe in that moment? Words give life. A truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes... A truthful witness... Sorry, we'll focus on the first part. A truthful witness saves lives. All right? You get to the judge, you speak truth that can set a man free. A a soft answer, Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Or Proverbs 15, 4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Words fill with good. Words calm. Words soothe. Words encourage. They unify. They save naturally when we speak truthfully and gently. And I can't help but think of Jesus' speech when he was among us. I I was spending most of my time in in the Gospels recently. I just want to see and understand Jesus more deeply. And and what tends to jump out is how appropriate his words are. The leper comes to him who has been without human contact for years. and, And he says to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reaches out his hand and touches him. And then he says, I am willing When he speaks, he gives life. I mean, literally, uh, the centurion, his servants come up to him and say, hey, God, sorry, Jesus, this guy that's really important, his his servant is sick. If you would just come and take care of that. And then as Jesus starts to go, uh, more guys come and say, hey, no, no, you don't have to come to my house. I'm a man of authority. I know what it's like. If you just speak the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus, astounded by this man's faith, says, you're right. And sure enough, the guy is healed just from a word. And even when Jesus had hard things to say to another person, he's, he's giving life. The rich man comes and wants to follow Jesus. And it says in a text that Jesus loved him. And in loving him, he says something very hard. He says, sell all you have and give it to the poor. It's a hard thing to say, but that's what's going to lead to life. He calls out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees to bring them to himself. Wake up. Why? Brood of vipers, come. Like, whoever thought brood of vipers would be a loving phrase? And yet, in Christ's mouth it was. Where we speak death out of the abundance of our heart as evil people, Jesus spoke life. And I think that that was most powerfully spoken at the cross. Where as he hangs there, he says, It is finished. And he gave up his own life for us. And that phrase, it is finished, it was finished. 
Jesus did perfectly what we could not do for ourselves. He perfectly obeyed the Father. He spoke wisely in every situation. And through his perfect obedience, his death, and his resurrection on the third day, Jesus rescued, restored, and gave life to people like you and me. The death that overflows our hearts is taken away and replaced with life for those who belong to Jesus. And we belong to him. When we trust him and follow him. Friends, Jesus has loved you perfectly. And he has given people like you abundant life through his life, death, and resurrection. You couldn't have earned it on your own. He did it for you. And when we trust in him, we belong to him. And we are given a new spirit that empowers us and enables us to live a life of obedience to Christ. So now our hearts overflow with life. And we'll find that we are now able to speak wisely, not to earn God's favor, but because we already have it. Not to, not to make ourselves a member of God's family, but because we already belong to God's family. But here's the thing, like, as I was driving in today, and again, this weekend, I've been trying, like, when I prepare a sermon. I'm off book now. This is dangerous. Sorry. Um, when I research, and like, I'm preaching to myself in the midst of all this. And so I've been really working on this in my own heart, trying to make sure that my words are, are wise that we'll get to in a moment. But even this weekend, just hearing some of the things that come out of my mouth, and I'm like, God, why is that still there? Because if this is true and, and life now overflows in my heart because Christ, I belong to Christ, why is there still other stuff? It's because, well, there's, he's still working on it. He's still scraping out those arteries and getting that getting that junk out of there. Anyways, if death and life are in the power of the tongue, and if those who love it will eat its fruits, how then might we love speaking life and enjoy the fruit of life? Well, as I mentioned earlier, Proverbs aren't promises, and they're not even necessarily commands, but there is a command given to us in Scripture that I think incorporates all of the wisdom found in Proverbs around speech. So if you have your Bibles, again, turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 4. Yes, we spent like a year there. We're not going to do that again, but this is a good, it's a great, great letter. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Here's what the word says. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. As those who belong to Jesus, here is how we can speak wisely. As those empowered by the Spirit, you're not going to do this on your own strength. You need Jesus and you need the power of the Spirit in you. Here's the command, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. The command gives us four qualities of wise words. And as those who have been given life in Christ, these qualities ought to characterize our speech, whether spoken or written or posted. So let me quickly point them out to you. Wise words are, first of all, careful. 
Uh, Paul writes, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only. As I read that, I'm like, okay, most of the stuff that comes out of my mouth is pretty bad. So if I'm not going to say that, but only say these kinds of things, and my words are going to be kind of few. They're going to be carefully chosen. And there are actually multiple proverbs extolling the value of using few words or restraint in words. Uh, proverbs 10:19: when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Or whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. In other words, you're able to keep your calm. You don't just rashly speak. You're a man of understanding. And then this next one, which is great. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Are you not sure as to whether you're a fool or a smart person? If you just don't say anything, everyone will think you're super smart. It's just the way of it. All right. Sometimes it's wiser to be silent to, than to speak. I mean, if we could just master that one, that'd be pretty, pretty phenomenal. Sometimes it's wiser to wait before answering. Wise words are careful and they're few. Secondly, skillful speech is edifying. When Paul writes, good for building up, he's actually using construction language there. We build up the person. We help construct this thing in this person. Uh, and I think that what he's referring to there is we're building up Christ in one another. When we choose to speak, the words we use ought to be constructive, even when they're hard to say or hear. When my brothers in Christ corrected me in private, they wanted to help me become more like Jesus. They're like, hey, David, we see this in you. Here's what the word says. Let's become more like Jesus together in this. They were building up Christ in me. Thirdly, wise words are fitting. They are appropriate for the time, for the place, the situation, the circumstance, the individual, all of it. When it says, uh, as it fits the occasion, like it fills a need right then and there. You should only speak when, when your words are going to fill a need Sometimes we say the right things at the wrong time. Sometimes we say the wrong things at the wrong time. We just do all the time stuff. Wise words, though, are willing to wait. And then lastly, skillful speech is full of grace. That phrase there, this is the ESV. Your Bible might actually say it benefits the one who hears. Wise words, when spoken, are for the good and the benefit of the person listening. And, and the context of the word, the, um, the nuance of the word is not, you think it's going to benefit them. No, no, it actually benefits them. Because we've all had that friend that's like, you need to hear this. And we're like, actually, I really don't. <laughs> but it will benefit. It will give grace. In order for that to happen, though, like, we have to be focused on the good of the other person. Not the needs, the wants, or the desires of the speaker. I have to know this person. Is this going to benefit them or is it just me benefiting myself, honoring my own desires in this circumstance? And then, yes, full of grace. I think that word, it's, it's the Greek word charis. It's a beautiful word. Grace is also a gift given. Whether the receiver deserves it or not. And so when I give grace to this person I'm talking to, or when they give grace to me, wise words assume the best of the other person, and, and they want the best for the other person. And so, like, if we were just to take the time to obey this command, 
What if we were to do that and then ask ourselves questions like, do I need to speak here? Is this what I, is what I have to say careful? Is it edifying? Is it fitting? Does it give grace or benefit the other? Could you imagine what conversations and community might look like? Could you, how different would the news and blog posts and social media be if, if we're just asking, do I really need to say something right here? Do I have enough information to make a comment on this? In Christ, through the power of his spirit, we can work towards this. And when we use words in this way, whether spoken or written, we give life in filling other people up with good things and encouraging them, not flattering, but pointing out what is good and beautiful and true. Like, like Kit did my senior year or others have done through my life. When we speak wisely, we give life to people, but we also reveal life to people. Because if we're edifying and if we're giving grace, it is inevitable that Jesus will come up because we've been given life in Christ. That life overflows into our speech and, and what he's done is going to naturally come up as we're speaking these wise words. These words that we speak will reveal Jesus to the world. And then lastly, I think that they don't just give life and reveal life, but they display life. They just put life on a big picture screen for everybody. For, you know, a community that speaks skillfully to one another is going to look different and it's going to be desirable to those outside looking in. There was a season in, um, in high school where my friend group where we were just big fans of dogpiling. And if, if you weren't the one dogpiling, you're the one being dogpiled on. You know what that phrase means, right? Like everyone's just beating up on you. Everyone's the sarcasm, all that kind of stuff. And it, it, like, I look at my other friend groups and be like, man, they don't do that to me over here. Over here, they speak life to each other. Like, do I really want to stay over here? Not really. I want to go be with them. Gentle, careful, edifying words. They unite people. They welcome people. They focus on beauty and truth and goodness. They don't rely on outrage or controversy to, or contrast to grab your attention. And, and have you ever watched a guy or a, a woman who's just like, they're be, getting yelled at and yet their response is wise? It's careful. It's edifying. Like they're fighting fire with water. It's great. And when confronted, like, Speaking wisely just causes the anger and the outrage to simply evaporate. Like, I want to be more like that. There's just no fuel there. Speaking wisely displays life to others, even when not speaking directly to another. And so, friends, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Therefore, the scripture says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Listen, there's a lot more that could and maybe should be said about words, about skillful speech. But for today, as those who have been given life by Jesus, let's live skillfully by recognizing the power of words and using careful, edifying, fitting, and graceful words, whether they're written or spoken, to give life, reveal life, and display life. Thank you for listening. Let me pray. Jesus, we come and we just thank you so much for today. And we thank you for your word. And God, as the, as the preacher today, I feel the weight that I don't want this to become some sort of a moralistic, just do better sermon. The wisdom is there as far as the words go. And the command is clear. Ultimately, Father, what we need most is a transformation of our heart. For as Jesus reminded us, it's out of the abundance of the heart that our mouth speaks. 
And so I just ask for more of Jesus today. Remind us again of his life and his death, his resurrection. Remind us of the cost of what it took to bring us back into the family. And Lord, may the gospel be real once again to us. And as we rest in Christ and as we remember that we have the Spirit of God in us, may we then choose to speak wisely. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for all these good gifts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.